0: please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hi, my name is Joshua Cole.
1: This is welcome to DAF, Daily Daff Differently. This is the first daff of Masecha Ketubot. Congratulations on finishing Masecha Yevamot. So I will be learning together with you all of the first Parak of Ketubot, which happens to be, it doesn't happen to be, I chose to uh, to do this Parak with Daily Daff Differently because I did my doctorate on Masech HaKtubot. I did it with Professor Shama Friedman at Bar-Ilan University a way back. So this is a little bit of Chazara. I'm going to be trying to find with you some some chidushim, some innovative readings, some things you might not have thought about that I brought up in my doctorate that come from research, that come from Talmudic Mechkar, academic study of Talmud. I think there are a lot of interesting things in this chapter that you... Uh, May not get just from simply reading the Daf, and I'm going to try to bring up with you. Um, and it's a chapter because I did my doctorate that I happen to know quite a bit about. I'll also use this opportunity uh, to plug my new book that I published with Jason Rogoff called "Reconstructing the Talmud." It's an introduction to the academic study of Talmud. So if you like the nature of the kinds of things I talk about in uh, the next 15 or so Dafim, uh, then you might want to check out the book. It's available pretty cheaply on Amazon, um, and it's also published by Machon Hadar. So the first Mishnah, actually the first chapter of Masechet Ketubot, mostly deals with uh, what we would call in Hebrew, ta'anot betulim, or in English, virginity claims. So in the Mishnah, what this means is the husband uh, marries the woman. We'll talk about the date of marriage. All of that stuff will come up. The husband marries the woman, expects her to be a virgin. She's never been married before. Uh She told him that she was a virgin. And he claims that he found her not to be a virgin on the first night of the wedding. And therefore, he does not want to pay her ketubah. Uh, the ketubah amount is 200. You probably know that for a virgin. So either, and there are different versions about what he wants, either he claims, I shouldn't have to pay her anything. I married her on the condition that she was a virgin, and I found out that she wasn't. So therefore, it was a false, the marriage was under false pretenses, and I shouldn't have to pay her anything. Alternatively, uh, he wants to pay her not the amount that would normally be paid To a virgin, which is 200, but he wants to pay her 100, which would be the normal amount of the ketubah for the first or the second marriage. Now, uh, I wanted to just go over, um, we're going to talk a lot about some of these issues in depth, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the biblical background of virginity claims before we get into the rabbinic stuff, Um, and just briefly today talk about the transition from the biblical understanding to the rabbinic understanding. Excuse me. The Torah talks about uh, virginity claims in Sefer Devarim, in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 22, verse 13. It's the only place, really, in the entire Tanakh where we hear about virginity claims, but we know that in the ancient world uh, such things were known, and that uh, there was legal recourse for a husband who found his wife to be um, not a virgin on the day of her marriage. But the biblical material is very different. Then the rabbinic material, and I want to talk about that today. So, say for Devarim, chapter 22, verse 13, a man marries a woman and cohabits with her, assuming he has sexual relations with her. Then he takes an aversion to her, um, although the Hebrew says, the which kind of sounds like he's lying about her, and makes up charges about against her excuse me it says usnea he hates her he wants to divorce her basically in the earlier verse he defames her saying i married this woman but when i approached her i found that she was not a virgin so there are two possibilities that comes up in the biblical sukim the first possibility is that the husband was lying the girl's father and mother bring out uh, a sheet with the evidence of her being a virgin they bring it out to uh, to the elders. They show it to the elders. The elders confirm that she was a virgin. And the husband is lashed uh, for his uh, false claims. And he has to pay her 100 shekels of silver, which is twice the normal bride price. So that's the first option. The second option is that uh, the mother and father do not produce evidence of her being a virgin. And then we have to assume that the husband was telling the truth. The woman is brought out for having committed fornication while under her father's authority. Thus you will sweep, and she's executed, and uh, thus you will sweep away evil from your midst, is how the Parsha ends. Now, there are a slew of problems with this uh, Parsha. Uh, I'm just going to touch on a few of them. First of all, the evidence of the sheet is notoriously very unreliable. The woman may have been a virgin and may not have bled. It happens and we're going to talk about that when we get to the Talmud. The husband could hide the sheet that had the blood on it and uh, thereby to cause her to very easily lose her evidence of uh, of virginity. Uh, And even more problematic, how easy is it to fake a bloody sheet, Uh, especially when we leave it up to the parents the parents could easily put some kind of any kind of blood on the sheet and thereby pretend that her daughter was a virgin when she wasn't. Um, so that's a problem we're going to deal with later on in the chapter. The chapter does come up with some of the issues there. The bigger problem that <laughs> the midrash has with this parak, with this chapter, is that um, generally speaking, premarital adultery, premarital sex, is not punishable by the death penalty. The Torah, and in this chapter in the Parshat Ki talks about uh, uh, adultery. And adultery is punishable by death, but only adultery after betrothal. And in other words, everywhere else we hear a woman who commits pre- has premarital sex is not put to death, um, but rather maybe is punished or, or whatever. There's not even any really discussion about it. And everywhere else says only an adulteress, someone who's already betrothed at least, or married. So another man um, is executed for her adultery, and the rabbis found that to be very, very problematic and they basically, due to the problems with the evidence and due to the problems of the punishment not fitting the crime, they basically reread this entire chapter and they read it in the following way: First of all, the sheet is not the sheet, right the, the parents do not produce a sheet. The only way to convict a person. And execute them is based on two witnesses. So, according to the rabbinic interpretation, you need two witnesses who say that she committed adultery, and moreover, not just committed, not just um, that she had had relations before her marriage to the the husband that she was betrothed to and now is marrying, but that she had pre had had um, post betrothal premarital relations with some other man. In other words, they turned this chapter into a chapter about post betrothal, premarital adultery. In which case the chapter is really not anymore about virginity, but really about adultery. Which is, again is reading it against the pshat because of the problems with the evidence and because of the problem that premarital sex should not be punished with a death penalty. So that basically wipes away virginity claims from their biblical existence. A husband marries a woman, assumes that she's um, a virgin, he finds out she's not a virgin, unless he has witnesses, two witnesses, eyewitnesses, who saw that she committed adultery, there is no way he can carry out this Parsha. Right. That basically leaves the Parsha out of the realm of Halakha l'mase. However, rabbinic society, as all ancient society, and I think to a certain extent, even Um, maybe less or so, but recently, until very recently, valued virginity. So in the rabbinic world, we have a type of virginity claim that is different than the virginity claim made in the Bible, and I think, I would argue, has very, very little to do with it. The virginity claim in our chapter cannot achieve the results that are there in the Bible. The husband isn't punished. He doesn't lose his... Uh, he doesn't have to pay her one hundred. He's not lashed, and even more importantly, if the husband is found to be um, telling the truth, the woman is not executed. At most, she leaves her ketuba, loses her ketuba. So what I would call this is monetary virginity claims, a completely different type of virginity claim. Where if the husband is telling the truth, he pays the full ketubah. and if the husband is lying he doesn't, uh, excuse me, the husband is telling the truth, he doesn't pay the full ketubah, may not pay any of the ketubah, the marital settlement. And if the husband is lying, he does pay. In other words, they turn this into basically an economic argument, a financial argument between he said and she said, which really is what the peric is, I think, in a more broad perspective, what the chapter is really about. The chapter is not so much about virginity claims but rather it is about virginity claims using virginity claims as a test case for what do we do in financial cases when person A and person B are having a financial argument and we cannot settle who owes what. All right? That is, in a nutshell, what this chapter is about. Uh, I really didn't even have too much of a time to get into the first Mishnah, but I will mention it to you. Um, the Mishnah says, Betulani Sethi. Ryom Haravi, a virgin is married on Wednesday, Vamana Ryom Ha and a widow on Thursday, Shepa Maim Bishabat Batinim Yoshrimba Ayrot, for twice a week courts sit in the cities, on these are the fair days, the same days that we read Torah. Bayoma Shini Ubayoma Hamishi on the second day and on the fifth day on Monday and on Thursday Shim Hayalo Tanat Batulim Hayamashkim Beti that if he had a virginity claim—he could get up the next day and go straight to the court. There are many problems with this mishnah. I probably the, the the gemara comes back to it on daf he, so I'm probably going to save that topic until we learn daf he together.
0: And good luck with your learning. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.